Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul White. It's the 13th day of July, and we have arrived at the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. I'd like to say that I did that on purpose, but the truth is that was just complete um, coincidence, luck of the draw, I suppose. I, I, it just It sounds good that we got to the 13th chapter on the 13th day of the month, but it didn't happen that way, uh, on purpose, rather. When you arrive at Mark 13, you've entered the final fourth of the book, and as you would expect, shortest gospel, you would expect that the most important moment of the life and ministry of Jesus is the cross, burial, resurrection, and Mark's not going to disappoint. A fourth of the book uh, is dedicated to the last week. Over a fourth of the book is dedicated to the last week of his life. The plot to kill Jesus will happen in the next chapter in which he's then anointed, he's betrayed, he celebrates Passover, he institutes the Last Supper. The 13th chapter is one final moment of teaching and an unusually long moment of teaching for the Gospel of Mark. Mark's not one who has extremely long segments of teaching. This one comes in response to a series of questions that is asked, and this is probably... For students of Bible prophecy, the most important or exciting chapter in the Gospel of Mark, it would be closely followed by, say, uh, Luke chapter 19, uh, Matthew chapter 24. I, I didn't mean closely followed. I mean closely associated with. I think Matthew 24 is probably, rightfully so, the most important chapter in the Gospels for Bible prophecy in regards to the fall of Jerusalem, then uh, there's some things in, in Luke chapter 20, 19 and chapter 21 that are quite important for that, and then there's Mark 13. And the reason why we say that is because this is often called the little apocalypse. Matthew 24 is usually referred to as the, the the Olivet Discourse chapter. This little apocalypse is Mark's version of that Olivet Discourse. By the way, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include some form of the Olivet Discourse. What that means, if you if you ever read that or hear someone say that, is it means that from the Mount of Olives on the final week of his life, Jesus gives a series of statements. Matthew puts them all into the largest section of Scripture, encompassing all of Matthew 24, and some could argue that it even much of what he says in Matthew 25 is part of that discourse. And all of it regards the fall of the temple. The fall of the temple, the end of the age, and the coming of the Son of Man. And you will even get those questions specifically asked at the top of Matthew 24. So then you have to frame the Olivet Discourse around the questions, not around what you're expecting from the end of the calendar age of the world. And so taking the questions seriously, which we'll do in the next few days, are key in understanding these passages. 
And so this little apocalypse kicks off in in Mark 13. It runs essentially. I'm I'm kind of sneaking ahead as I as I look at the chapter length. 37 verses. I had forgotten exactly how many verses were in this chapter. And it basically good good breakdown by the translators is they put the entire little apocalypse inside of that chapter. So to break it down into those three parts, it's basically going to deal with the coming destruction of the temple, which, by the way, contextually, they could not have imagined. The temple had first been destroyed in 586 B.C. That's almost, that's over 600 years from the time they're sitting there. That's like you and I trying to understand something from the early 1400s or the late 1300s. We're just not good at it. We might have a history book that gives us the date, but we don't really have a good framework for what the world looked like then. It's so long ago, it might as well be eternity. So to talk to these this group about the temple falling, their temple had fallen over 600 years earlier. They couldn't imagine what it would look like for a temple to fall. Let's read some text. We're going to work our way through this over the next few days. I do want to give you a little heads up. I'm not going to do an exhaustive eschatological review of Mark 13, and there's a couple of reasons why. One is I don't I don't really want to go down the road of digging that deep into this topic at this season in my life. I've done that work. That work's recorded so that you can go back and and do it with us, but I don't want to rehash it too much. I want to do justice to the text in front of us, and that's what we're going to try to do. But if you want to deep dive into the things of eschatology, I've put all of our eschatology videos into one channel, at our one folder at our PWM channel on YouTube. And they're called Finished Work Eschatology, and they're numbered all the way up through number 40. Finished Work Eschatology, vlog number one, vlog number two. They were a video blog we were doing, a real sort of informal thing we started, and it got a little more formal as it went along as I sort of codified all the things I wanted to say. So they're available. PWM's our YouTube channel. Go check it out. You can go as deep as you want. It basically encompasses Matthew 24 and a bunch of peripheral sort of satellite texts around both Old and New Testament. And uh, I highly recommend that if you want a deep dive. So that's the reasons why we're only going to get kind of superficial. Verse 1, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Herod the Great began rebuilding the temple in 19 BC, and he used marble and gold to decorate the stones. The outer court of that temple, we talked about the courts yesterday a little bit, the outer court measured 500 by 300 yards. Imagine that, 1,500 feet by 900 feet. It's massive, and it was bordered by these walls of massive white stone. Some of those were 16 feet long, three to four feet high. I've stood next to what's left of those on the old Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and it's they were massive. And on top of these were these cloisters, covered walkways that you could walk around the edge of the Temple Mount. So it was quite had to be quite an impressive building. Jesus says not one stone's going to be left unturned or thrown down. And this will happen and did happen 
In A.D. 70, when Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was destroyed by Titus, the Roman general, Titus went on to be the emperor of Rome, and they're still standing in Rome today, the Arch of Titus that commemorates his victory. So this is not something out in our future, but was something in their future, and that provides you a framework for where we'll go the next few days. See you tomorrow. God bless.